0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: Welcome, Philly, to your favorite sports show. Bra. Hosted by Jesse Town and Sam Wilson. They're smart, they're sexy, and they're all Philly. So thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy the show.
2: Hello and welcome into Babes on Broad, episode 33. I'm Sam Wilson with my co-host, Jesse Town, and we are the Babes on Broad, brought to you by Bleeding Green Nation and SB Nation. Give us a follow on all platforms at Babes on Broad, so that's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and we have a website, Babes Babes on Broad. Dot com. And then you can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at SamWills18. And you can find Jess on Instagram at Jessica underscore town with an E. And on Twitter at RunThisTown with an E13. It's been a while since we've been with everybody because of all the craziness in the world. But a lot's been going on. It's not really football-wise. So we had to wait until something happened. And now it is game week Philadelphia Eagles they are back baby the Redskins this Sunday at one o'clock in Washington and we have a lot to get into over camp there's been a lot going on first thing first before we get into win and losses and all that we're going to break down offense and defense in two separate episodes so first today we're going to do the offense and the big story with the offense lately has been the O-line and all the injuries on the O-line. Back in June, Brandon Brooks went down with a left Achilles injury, and he will be out for the season. They didn't put him on IR. They put him on the pup list, which is interesting. I mean, he's so in shape right now, but he's still, you can't have an O-lineman do a what, six-month recovery from a left Achilles when he's already got a bad right Achilles? Who the heck knows? That guy's Superman. <laughs> that yeah, was funny I looked at it and I was like, hmm, that's interesting.
3: Now again, I'm not getting my hopes up on this, but I thought that was interesting.
2: And then it only got worse from there. Then we had Andre Dillard. Not only did he not have the most promising camp, but then he also was out for the whole season as well. So they brought in Jason Peters. So great they guard. Him in once Brandon Brooks went down. They brought him in to go
3: over there, but then Andre Dillard got hurt, and they had a right guard playing left tackle and a left tackle playing right guard, which was just silly. So, thankfully, Jason Peters walked into Doug Peterson's office and said, I'm playing left tackle, and Doug said he got up and gave him a hug.
2: (laughs) First, he tried to be like, I'm only doing it for more money, and I was very upset because I was like, that is selfish, JP. And then I got – I talked some senses into him, and he was like, you know what? Yes, you're welcome. (laughs) You're welcome, Philadelphia. He and JP, buddies, boys.
3: I'm I'm so so glad he's moving back to left tackle just because – not okay so not only did Andre Diller go down for the season Lane Johnson has been hurt for the last few weeks so he hasn't really been practicing either huh. and one of the biggest thing, I, I forget what it was I feel like it's more of a precaution cuz he's playing week
2: 1 so I think it's more of a but he hasn't it,
3: practiced for weeks if it was oh, just a precaution he would pl- he would be practicing this week and I don't know I don't know how much he is practicing this week I know
2: he's been lifting so it can't be too serious
3: right but the bigger thing there is like It's having the chemistry with also the right guard. So, like, just all the chemistry on the line is equally as important as, I mean, anywhere else, right? So having a guy at left tackle who knows how to play left tackle alongside the same left guard from last year, I think that just makes more sense in terms of blindside protection than just having a cluster of a line. I agree. And there's good old Jason Kelsey in the middle just doing his thing as always. (laughs)
2: okay so how confident are you with the current line it's jp from left to right jp samalu kelsey matt Pryor, and then lane johnson so how confident it's not too bad besides matt Pryor is the only one we're not really
3: right started. but he got some time in there last year i mean it's things like this when you when you and i talked last year when we did our who stays and who goes episode right when we did that one of the guys that we were like they should keep but probably won't be able to because of a price tag was Vitae. And that's because he could play left tackle, right tackle, and right guard. And it's a situation like this where it's like, dang, he would be really nice to have here right above. Oh, so, but Matt Pryor did work in there a little bit last year because Brandon Brooks went down and Lane Johnson, or Lane Johnson and then Brandon Brooks and went down. And, then they had vitai right well they put dillard in there but then they put vitai in there and then they had matt Pryor at right guard so it wasn't it wasn't the worst thing in the world and i think he'll get continue to get better as the season goes on i definitely feel better with jason peters over there instead of that just being say and Pryor or jack driscoll or anybody else i just you know everyone wants to make the jokes about the false starts and and whatever I mean, it's not just Jason Peters. Like every lineman in the NFL does that. It happens, whatever. I-, I would trust Jason Peters with my life. And I also trust him with Carson Wentz's life. That's why he's known as the bodyguard. So I, I-, I have a a moderate to good feeling about them. I'm just, week one is no joke with that defensive line that they're going yeah. against from Washington. Montez Sweat, Ryan Kerrigan, and Chase Young. It's going to be a huge test right off the bat. And last year, Carson Wentz was the number – I think in through the first four weeks in terms of most hit quarterbacks, I think he was number seven. Like, he got rocked last year. He only got sacked once against Washington, but he was just getting hit over and over and over again.
2: Yeah, so that's my thing about J.P. is I'm happy he's back. I think he is the best option to be there right now. But it doesn't concern you at all that he is getting older and he does get banged up because there's always – there's been multiple stories from camp that he's had to come out and sit a day out. It's nothing serious, but it is like, it looks like it's part of his age that like he might not be able to hang. That doesn't concern you at all.
3: Oh, it definitely concerns me. It 100% does, but I would rather him still be the starter and them have somebody else to fall back on that they're continuously work that that they're continuously working with without the pressure of having to be the starting left tackle. So it's like, you know, they drafted Jack Driscoll and they really like this kid and he's shown some good things in camp. But I mean, the pressure of having to be the starter is so much different than just having to work and learn and, and being ready to go in if you're needed, but you don't have to be the guy to protect Carson Wentz week one against whoever's coming off of that edge.
2: No, I agree. And I do, like I said, I think he's the best option for that, but I wouldn't like, I'm very concerned about our offensive line and their health and how long they will be able to stay healthy and what we're going to do. And with that being said, there's been a lot of talk about possibly getting veteran Cordy Glenn mm-hmm. um, from, he was most recently with Cincinnati in the past two years. And then six years before that, he was with Buffalo. Um, he started 95 games total between those eight years and he was a former second-round pick in 2012. And there's been a lot of talk, and I saw Trey Thomas break down his film in Trench Talk, and he seemed decent. Would you want them to pull in, like, Cordy Glenn for a backup? Or would you want some of the guys off the bench, like Driscoll, who's young, and Prince – I don't know how to say his last name – Tego Wanaga? And then Nate Big.
3: I do like the idea of bringing in another veteran because that's something that they – have had in terms of like Vitae you know his first year was obviously you know a little iffy but he also I mean was a starting left tackle in the Super Bowl so you know he he had enough experience that I felt okay when he came in having you know one of these young guys or rookies come in I mean that is that is a little nerve-wracking especially like last year when Dillard came in at times it was like okay like this guy's supposed to be the future so we're gonna need to throw him in there at some point None of these guys are supposed to be, you know, the future or, you know, taking over for a Hall of Famer, essentially. I don't have as much comfort or confidence in some of these guys as I would have in Andre Dillard last year or, you know, bringing Vitae off the bench. So I think, I don't think it would be a bad idea. And I would
2: definitely support the thought of bringing in a veteran. Are you concerned about Dillard's career? Because, I mean, he didn't have the best last year. He wasn't having a good camp. And then now he's out for the entire season. So he's already been an old rookie and all that stuff and wasn't panning out how they were supposed to. And it was – now it's just later and later. I get concerned about, like, this halting his development another year. Even if he does come back and he does end up being a really good everyday left tackle and everything, I don't see him as a Hall of Famer, Dillard, but I think that he – will hopefully become a everyday great left tackle and protect Carson. But I still think it's a letdown considering he was our number one pick and he was already old and he's lost so much time. So I think it's a letdown, but there's still hope for it. Okay. So we got that done. Let's move on to the wide receivers. So the wide receivers that made the 53 man roster Deshaun Jackson, Jalen Rager. We'll get more into each one of these in a second. Um, Greg Ward, Alshon Jeffrey, John Hightower, JJ Ortega-Whiteside, and Quez Watkins. But then Watkins was just recently put on the day-to-day IR, the short-term IR. Um, Alshon Jeffrey, he is not expected to play until October, but he's not on the puck. They couldn't trade him, and who knows what's going on with him.
3: Apparently he looks a little skinny, like he's lost some weight, but got you know the muscle still there. But he's slimmed down a little bit, so he's lo- he's he's looking good and everything seems to be progressing well, which is good, especially because that's a yeah. really crappy injury to try to.
2: So we'll just start with Sean Jeffrey because I kind of just went right into it. So there was a bunch of trade rumors. Obviously the Eagles are having a tough time trying to trade in because he's expecting to get paid just under ten million this year, um, and he's coming off that Liz Lisfranc in- injury. He, it's weird because like how we were just talking about it, he was projected to not even see the field until October. And then he came back, they were saying he was looking healthy and like skinnier. And supposedly he's had a good attitude on the sidelines and all that stuff. So now they're saying it's potential. He could play in September. Do you risk that with his age and a Liz Franck injury and his, I mean, his attitude seems good, but his attitude that, you know, he can have.
3: I think he's the kind of person that can power through if he wants to like if he has the motivation he's going to power through circa 2017 Super Bowl season he had a yeah. torn rotator cuff and played the whole season and was mm-hmm. phenomenal uh, then last year he had some like little nagging injuries before he really got hurt he had like the ankle was bothering him a little bit and he just was dropping a lot of balls and he just i don't think mentally he was totally invested so i think it it sort of depends if he's if he's on in a good spot in terms of his focus his game um, and, and motivation for the season. I think he's the kind of guy who he will want to do that at this point with the issues with receivers that you've had. Anybody that's healthy enough to play should play. I know. And you get what you can out of them until someone else gets hurt. Please.
2: No, I agree with that. And that's the thing that concerns me is the fact that it is all about what he wants to do. And, after last year's locker room drama, where it was most likely him that went to Justina Anderson and all that. It just, I don't know if I think he has the mental capability to actually want to play for this team and want to do good for this team. I think if there is a want to for him, it will be for himself just to get traded or signed by a new team, you know? So I hope that's enough. We'll see. Um, What you already said, you just kind of hinted into it. Wide receiver was our big problem last year and, it's concerning again I already went through who they have our number one receiver right now is the Sean Jackson which is exciting because I'm excited to see finally him be that deep threat for Carson and see how it goes but I'm kind of concerned with it I was already mentioned it to you is yes he's healthy and he's back but how much is his age going to get on to him and then also how much is last year's big injury the only injury he's really had in his career going to impact him so I think those two going up together kind of concern me as our number one receiver I mean I get
3: worried because there's no reason that in a year that you knew receiver was your biggest issue and it was your number one thing that you needed to address there is no reason that your number one receiver should be a 33-year-old Deshaun Jackson coming off of an injury where he played one game. Is Deshaun spectacular when he's healthy? Oh, my God, yes, and we saw that week one last year. If I could have a whole season of Deshaun like that, no arguments. I, I need that from him, though. But the fact that that's our number one reliance is – My concern, and and we you know we talked about this after the draft. My issue was draft Jalen Rager. Great, that second round pick. You take another receiver. You don't draft Jalen Hurts with fifty two. Trade trade your third round pick and trade up to take him at the end of the second round if you so desire to have him that badly. But you take a Denzel Mims or or someone else that was there to supplement that receiver position. Now they have a couple other young guys that have shown out in camp a little bit. You need some. Bigger guarantees. You you need some more. There there's. I don't have a lot of confidence in this group. Is kind of my point. Without shots injury, with Jalen Rager just being a rookie, in itself nothing else. Deshaun being a little bit older, coming off injuries. I mean, other than that. Now we were talking about this before we came on. Greg Ward. Huge shout out to him. So excited that he finally was able to crack that 53 man roster. Mm -hmm. But how does he do in a situation where it's you know you're the guy? You're one of the guys you're not, we have nothing else left. Please just do something. You know what I mean? It's a totally different mentality going into week one, relying on this guy to make big plays for you instead of, you know, what was it week 14 or 15 when you're hanging on by a thread and you're just trying to step up and make a big play here and there. Like this is, you need to
2: make the plays. And I think a big thing that's going to impact Ward this year, too, is last year he came off the practice squad. Nobody knew who he was. He just got thrown in there, played big. He did his part, and he deserves this spot on the team. But I think he's going to struggle in the fact that other teams will now have last year's film to look at. Right. Because obviously there's a reason he's not a big wide receiver and he never made the cut. You know what I mean? He's good, but it's concerning if he's going to be good enough to still play big when other teams know what to expect from him. Jalen Rager. Agree with you. I am excited to see him. I think he's going to be very good, young back. But that's the problem; he doesn't have the experience. So hopefully, he can play big. You wait to see how it translates into the NFL, right? We're still. I mean, it's all. It's not
3: such a seamless transition for everyone. You saw JJ Ortega Whiteside struggled last year. You hope he takes a step forward. But totally with what you were saying about Rager, like I think he's going to be great. But you know, there is a learning curve that comes with it.
2: And he did. He did have a very good camp until he injured his shoulder. Hopefully it's just one week out. Yeah. So one week without him, hopefully he comes in JJ Arthago Whiteside needs to have a big year. Needs to take a step forward. Needs to take a step forward because with what we said, you literally right now healthy have Deshaun Jackson for week one, Greg Ward for week one, John Hightower, who we'll get to and JJ. And hopefully he does it right away because I mean, I feel like anybody would be in their head playing for Philly and not producing, but if he doesn't produce right away, Philly's going to be on him.
3: And I think I mean, that's – And especially with what we were talking about with the offensive line being so questionable, like if other people aren't stepping up and making plays and, and and doing what they're supposed to do, this offense is going to be stagnant. And then
2: our fourth wide receiver for week one, John Hightower. Clocked a 4.43 in the combine in the 40, but that was also he – it was noted that that was with an extra 15 pounds of muscle, so he's expected to be even faster, which is awesome. So he kind of sounds like he'll be another Deshaun, which maybe that will be great for him to play behind a guy like Deshaun. The, the goal is speed. You got speed. Exactly. And Camp, I haven't heard much from him, but they probably also weren't focusing on him before all the injuries as much. I
3: mean, it's, they were saying – so uh, on August 30th, BLG tweeted, it feels like John Hightower makes at least one highlight play in every, in every practice. Can't recall him dropping a pass this summer. Diving contested catch over the middle, creating instant separation with a release by uh, right next to Darius Slay. You know, long balls to beat some of, the st- some of the guys that are in contention for starting quarterback jobs. So it seems like he's been doing really well in camp and he's going to yeah. be one of those sneaky good options. So, I mean, hey, we'll see. You know.
2: That's exactly what we were saying about Riger as well. Is they've both been doing good, but it's also where somewhat in their comfort zone, you know what I mean, in a camp, We'll see how it translates to the field, but what would you say you're more concerned about week one and then whole season, the offensive line and their injuries or the talent of wide receivers? I'm definitely more concerned about the offensive line. I agree. My
3: my point with the offensive line just is, so Miles Sanders has been a little banged up through camp, but he's going to be good to go for week one as we kind of, we'll, we'll, we'll use this as our segue into the rest of the roster, which is essentially running backs and tight ends. But, He's been a little banged up, but he needs to. He's gonna need to take a step forward in terms of his like picking up the blitz, especially with the way that the line is right now and with some of the injuries. So he's gonna have to take a step up there to give. Obviously, we this speed was the goal, but getting a little bit of separation is gonna be then the end game here. And and Carson's gonna need a little bit of time to be able to get the ball out. But the offensive line, if they can't hold up for that, and if they can't do anything to block for a Miles Sanders or a Corey Clement or a Boston Scott you know you become a one-sided offense and yes it is a passing league but if you can't toss in the run here and there it's not hard to stop so like I said before they're going to become a stagnant offense if they can't figure um, it out on some level so the, the the offensive line is the root of all that for me
2: going it's more in depth with that Miles Sanders Boston Scott Corey Clement is it Clement Clement I always say it wrong and I always forget which one's the actual way Clement. okay I'm sorry I always, I literally always get in trouble for how I say it. It's it's like the, the Alex
3: Burke, Alec Burke's thing. It's, it's, he always says it wrong, and people just need to figure
2: it out. Pending the offensive line, Miles Sanders, I'm a huge fan. I think he is our back of the future, and I hope our offensive line can give him what he needs to have another great year and even grow on top of that. Boston yep. Scott, I think, complements him perfectly. He's a cheaper back, but he's also the power that we need because he makes up for more of the Sanders – zigzaggy and then I think I'm just biased towards Corey because I mean he's obviously been injured most of the last two years but he did so good in that Super Bowl I think it's somewhere inside of him and I like having him on the roster to throw and switch things up apparently
3: he's I mean he's looked as good like the best he has since that year I think you know one of the issues wasn't Like, I think he's a good role player, and he's good at what they had him doing the year they won the Super Bowl. When he was supposed to be the guy that most of the work fell on, he's not that guy. But he has things that he can do as a good change of pace back because he can, like, he can run between the tackles, but he can also bounce at the outside. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He can catch the ball deep, honestly. But when he is supposed to be, like, that workhorse guy, I just don't think that's
2: him. I agree. I feel like he's more of a chill, knows his place, and I think he likes that. He seems like he likes. I'm excited for the running back group as long as our offensive line can at least hold up something to give him a chance to do something.
3: Right. And I think that's, I mean, another seamless segue here. Going into the tight ends, which is just Ertz and Goddard on the roster for the 53, I mean, Goddard's going to come into play a lot in the run game there. And Ertz yeah. probably have to step up with his some of his blocking too, which, I mean, he's significantly improved on every year in the league, but. Yeah, I mean, Goddard had a thumb fracture in camp, but he's been practicing. He's, he's going to play through anything.
2: It doesn't really matter what. Does it plays. concern you, though, the fact that they do only have Ertz and Goddard in there because? Like, no,
3: because they're both pretty durable. They're both pretty durable individuals. I mean, Zach Ertz like, played with a lacerated kidney. Unless it's something like a concussion or something where it's, it's genuinely dangerous to their health, those two are guys that they're they're going to be on the field I agree and I think they are rely on them every time
2: yeah and how fit they are like their body mass and I think or everything goes into them staying healthy so I think they have good chances of that I mean Goddard has little injuries but
3: the offense as a whole right what is your I I mean you kind of asked me this which was my bigger concern the the line or the wide receivers but uh, the offense as a whole, and then obviously you have your three quarterbacks, Carson Wentz, Jalen Hurts, Nate Sudfeld, brought Josh McCown on the practice squad per Carson Wentz's request. I love that guy. Just chilling, casually making $12,000 a week. Can I be the fifth emergency quarterback and make half of that? Literally. What is what is your key to success for this Eagles offense?
2: Um, I mean, I think it sounds cliche, and I think it's every single year we say this, and it never happens, but help. I think overall that's what we need because we are our are are wide receivers so young and we need them to just kind of play it big and step right into their roles. And we need Rager to really remain healthy and come out big. We need Jeffrey to come back good. So I think that's going to play big on that. But then also it translates over to the offensive line. And I think they as well have to play big, but J.P. has to stay healthy. Samalo, I'm not worried about it like him there. Jason Kelsey, obviously a freaking beast. Lane Johnson, I need him to stay healthy. Last year he had some, what was it, high ankle sprains that took him out a little bit? Yeah. Four body injuries. So you need him to stay healthy, which he has been lifting a lot and doing a whole bunch of stuff. So hopefully that translates into his health this year. And then Matt Pryor, he makes me nervous. I think he's the weakest spot. And I don't know. Hopefully he plays big. But key to success
3: being health, I think, makes – I mean, I agree with that wholeheartedly.
2: So because even though we are young, I think they have the ability to play up. So I think that's kind of the secondary worry is the age. But yeah, definitely. Agreed.
3: Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to chat a little bit about the Sixers and what they have going on right now or not going on or whatever the heck it is that they're doing. You are listening to Babes on Broad on BGN Radio.
1: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N 29.com.
2: Welcome back into Babes on Broad, episode 33. We teased it before the break, but a lot of stuff went down with the Sixers. Jess, you want to give us a little recap The Sixers got their butts swept
3: right out of the bubble by the Boston Celtics. Now, the Celtics played a really, a really good offensive series. Um, The Sixers did the opposite of that, um, (laughs) aside from Joel Embiid. Joel averaged 30 and 12 and uh, was their best offensive player. He was their best defensive player. Um, Anything that needed to be done, Joel was doing it, but no one else was helping him. No one else, I, I mean, no one else. Remotely played up to their to the to their personal standards, and the team was just an absolute cluster for lack of a better term. I mean, it, they looked awful. They looked lost. Poor decisions made all the way around. I, I mean, it was just so bad. So obviously, I think it was pretty understood by that point that Brett Brown was was going to be let go after the that was kind of all done. But they also kind of talked about how they were going to really address the front office as well. Um, In typical Sixers fashion, nothing has been done since, I mean, they haven't done anything since they mentioned that. Um, The the front office is still completely intact and the same way, but there's an ongoing head coaching search. Um, Apparently, I would love to get your thoughts on this, Sam. The only people in the room that are, you know, getting to voice their opinion for a new head coach are Elton Brand. Josh Harris, Joel Embiid, and Ben Simmons. Do you agree that that is how it should be, and and or do you have a different opinion there? What are your thoughts on Joel and Ben, especially having a large say in who the next head coach is?
2: No, I think that's very smart because that's all we talk about in Philadelphia is building with Ben and building with Joel. We've made it very clear. As many stupid people want to say, trade Joel, trade Ben. They're not going anywhere they're our future. They're what you're going to build around. You have to make sure they have a say and they want to play for somebody that they bring in because that's what we saw with Brett. Like obviously it wasn't that they were being disrespectful and just not playing for him. But when you have that chemistry with a coach, it makes you want to win for them kind of with the flyers. I mean, the flyers are out, but kind of like the flyers and yeah. AV, you right. need that respect and that we talked about it so much with Brett that he was more of a friend and he was perfect for the process. But like, you have to have somebody that's a friend off the ice that you respect and you like as a person, but will get on your ass when you're playing. I agree.
3: Yeah. Completely. And apparently that's, you know, the the number one guy, the number one rumor at this point is is Tyloo, And yeah. apparently, you know, obviously, it's a player's league and the players are going to dictate what's going on. And I think that's how it should be. And, you know, it's no secret that, you know, David Blatt was fired from Cleveland because LeBron wanted him gone and LeBron hand-selected Ty Lu to come in. Um, now, I still don't put any stock in Ty Lu having an NBA championship as a head coach. I don't just because LeBron was – I mean, you have LeBron. And, and LeBron – but I think what, what is really impressive about that is apparently the schemes that he put around LeBron and and the where he put guys in certain situations – was, I think it was a little bit of a breath of fresh air. And I think a lot of the veterans on that team, the Kevin Loves and, and whatnot, they were really impressed with the X's and O's that actually came out of this guy's mind. And they thought, and, and not only that, but he wasn't afraid to get in LeBron's face and, and chew him out a little bit if he wasn't doing what he was supposed to. So he was a good, good players coach. He knew how to articulate, but wasn't afraid to get on you if you weren't doing your job which I think is exactly what Ben Simmons and Joel need. A guy who's going to put them in the best situations, who's going to continuously build up their strengths while also working on their weaknesses. But, you know, if there's a, if there's a period of time where, you know, Joel looks a little bit lazy, he's going to let him hear about it. If there's a period of time where, you know, Ben keeps driving to the rim and kicking it out instead of just finishing strong when, you know, he, he's got someone smaller on him he's going to bring Ben off the floor and he's going to let him know about it. So I think, you know, I, I totally agree with you in that that's the kind of guy you need and, and your comparison to AV, I think is a really good one. He knows how to work with some of the younger guys. He has the respect of the veterans, but no one is above getting, getting yelled at or above a criticism. And I think that's, you know, exactly what they need. The Sixers need. And they also, Obviously there needs to be some, some reworking of the roster, but I think it's also going to be putting guys in the right situation to succeed, which I don't
2: think they were last year. Everyone wants, I mean, and when they were it took forever to switch things. Like Al Horford was starting forever and ever and ever. And then finally, what a week before shutdown, he was placed in the right spot. You know what I mean? So I agree with you on that.
3: Exactly. And I, I think that they need to get some more shooters in here your your shooter for con I, I mean he took seven shots in four games in the playoffs like yeah. he didn't even get a shot off in game one do you know how many points he scored from shots zero zero none none he had three points in four games and they all came from free throws and by the way he was three for five from the free throw line like he missed two of them you know and that's supposed to be your shooter when that's your shooter yikes like yikes i and i think the front office needs to be adjusted i i, I don't know if you have listened to the most recent jj reddick podcast or even the one like before when he was talking to jimmy butler but the one that came out this week he was talking about some of his time in philly and how all of the emphasis was on what players couldn't
2: do like yeah, I actually, of, I saw, yeah did you see that i saw a quote about him saying that His play hasn't changed at all with the Pelicans right now. But when he was in Philly, it was all about how his defense was poor, his defense was poor, even though it would be the same as it is right now. But now he doesn't have to worry about it. So it makes him seem better or something like that. Right. And it was – and
3: I mean, the guy was a 12-year veteran. You know what I mean? So he's played in the NBA for twelve years. He had never been on a team that missed the playoffs until this year. But you want to focus on everything he can't do instead of just putting yeah. him in the best situations to succeed. It's this, and he, you know, said it was kind of the same thing with Ben and Ben's shooting. Yeah. Why are we constantly focusing on what he can't do when the guy is? I mean, he is top in the league of rebounding, passing, in court vision, steals, de- like. It's a crime that he was not even a finalist for Defensive Player of the Year voting. An absolute crime, especially when you look at, you know, Giannis saying he didn't want to switch on Jimmy Butler. Like, Ben's the kind of guy who's like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to defend anybody and they're not going to get by me. Like, or at least I'm going to make it hard for him. When he played on Kawhi last year, Kawhi was still doing Kawhi things, but he was frustrated. He had to work harder for it. You know what I mean? So I just, they need to revamp that front office. Anybody that was there under Colangelo or was hired by Colangelo
2: needs to go. go. Agreed. Besides, I I see a lot of people attacking Elton Brand, and there are some things that he's done that haven't worked out and stuff, but I'm a fan of Elton. I think it's too early to get rid of Elton. The only thing I think he royally, royally – I can't say that – messed up was Jimmy Butler, but yes. – his hands were tied in that if it was a Brett or Jimmy situation I still think he should have chose Jimmy but I mean you see what Jimmy can do and I
3: don't think anybody had any disagreement there and it just it, it's it's going it's going to haunt it's going to haunt the Sixers for forever I mean if Jimmy goes on some crazy run and wins a title in Miami I, it's it's going to haunt us and it's going to haunt me until the day I die me yeah. and my Jimmy Butler jersey that's like in the back of my closet now I, I, I still don't disagree with retaining Tobias Harris because I like Tobias and I think no I think I, don't I think that's a great bias yeah I, I like in terms of not only his on on the court stuff but everything that he is off the court because we've talked about Joel yeah. Embiid's kind of that goofy personality Ben Simmons is kind of quiet he's not really a vocal leader Tobias is that vocal leader that's going to pull the team together and be the guy who if you need a voice that's who the team's going to turn to and yeah, he's – he grossly underperformed in the playoffs. No one I think is going to disagree with that. But I also don't think he was necessarily always
2: put in the best spot to succeed. I agree. And I also think you have to look at his career overall. He obviously did not have a good year, but based off of what he did before, you know what he can do. You know, if he has a change of scenery, he could get back to that. So I, or not scenery, but like a different coach Mm -hmm. and, I can't think of the word, but just somebody new to come in and switch things up. I think it's going to help him a lot. And I think overall that was the right move. Anybody can have a bad year. Nobody would have just guessed and been like, "Yeah, we're going to give him all this money, and we know we're going to get." He's going to do bad. Whatever he comes back, he'll bounce out of it. I think that was still the right move.
3: A new voice in the locker room could do wonders for some of these players and for for some members of this team. I still think there are things that. Need to be adjusted. I think that if they can unload that Al Horford contract, they should.
2: Well, I mean, what will we get in return for that? God only knows. That's the thing, too, is that was brilliant when it first happened. Everybody agreed with Elton because you're the one guy that could beat Joel. You put him on a team with it. It sounded genius. Right. Nobody have a back center finally. Like, nobody could have guessed that he would come here and poop the bed. I'm sorry. But Like, nobody could have guessed that. So I don't think stuff like that goes back on Elton. Because I think, you think about it, before it happened, it was smart. And now that it didn't pan out, yeah, it's easy to turn on Elton and be like, you should have known, but nobody could have known. Right. And the only way they were getting him here was if they offered him
3: 110, because the Kings were offering him 100. So they wanted him here. And and again,
2: the theory was there. In theory, yes. It should have been genius. It just (laughs) didn't pan out that way. Like, it's not Elton's fault. And that's why what? it bothers me when people try to comment Elton so much. <sighs> okay. I just saw, I tried to get the most recent, I mean, obviously we already talked kind of about who we wanted, but I saw the most recent article about the top Sixers can coaching candidates. There's five, sorry, I almost said six. There's five of them. Okay. And one of them's already been, since been knocked out. The most recent article I could find was uh, within a week. And I just try to gather everybody up. So they have Tyronn Lue, um, Jay Wright, who's since confirmed that he will not even want the Sixers job. And I don't blame him because he's having so much success and making so much money at Villanova. And then Ima Udoka, their assistant coach, but he's also been in talks of being trying to talk with other teams about their coaching jobs. Stan Van Gundy, who I know you like, would be my number one choice. And then the fifth guy is Adrian Griffin, who's toronto's assistant coach so stan van gundy's your number one who's your number two ty i mean i guess now if i had to go with my uh,
3: number two of anybody now i think a guy who would have been interesting was jacques vaughn who's the assistant coach in brooklyn who was their interim head coach after they fired kenny atkinson but they also just announced when they hired steve nash they were retaining jacques vaughn and he was going to be the Best compensated assistant coach in the NBA. I also, I'm a fan of Ime Udoka. I just think, and I also am a fan of Becky Hammond. I just want to get away from the Greg Popovich tree. I want to say for for a period of time. Yeah. I, I they need a fresh start. I think Ben and Joel need a fresh start. I think the front office needs a fresh start. Like I think everybody just needs to take a step back, clean slate, start new figure it out from there. And then if that doesn't work, that's a different conversation from, from down the line. But I think at this point it's been so long since we've heard anything different or any other rumors. It leads me to believe that they, they have their guy and there's an agreement in place. They're just, they just haven't announced it yet.
2: Yeah, I agree. And it'd be interesting to see what they choose. I, Do think just from what we hear that it will be Ty Lue, just because he's the most talked about, the most hyped up one. It would make sense because he's still playing. So we'll see what happens. The irony of that man being the Sixers
3: head coach to me is mind blowing. Like I, I was telling you this before. I personally think this idea because we need that if they hire Ty Lue as the head coach. The first, the home, a home opener for the Sixers, he needs to sit down in front of the bell and Allen Iverson needs to step over him to ring said bell. Then after they win an NBA championship with Ty Lu as the head coach, the, follow, the that season that follows that home opener, at, they reverse roles and he gets to step over Allen Iverson to ring the bell. Because I think that would just be poetic justice.
2: I think that is beautiful. And I love that idea. And I think that reason you told me before the show, that whole situation. And I think that is why I want Tyloo to become the coach. Well, only if they reenact that, that then, if, then I will accept it. Yes. We need that in writing from the Sixers when they hire Tyloo. That needs to be, yeah, that needs to be part of the contract. Yes. Thank you for your time.
3: <laughs> that is our episode for the day. Thank you so much to BGN radio as well as SB Nation, make sure you're following us on social media, the Babes on Broad accounts, as well as myself and Sam. And make sure you are subscribed to Bleeding Green on wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, whatever it is, because we have another episode coming out this week with a big announcement of some game day plans and some exciting things that we've got going for season two of Babes on Broad. So make sure once you finish this episode, obviously give a five-star rating, leave a written review, all that good stuff, but make sure you're subscribed and listen to our second episode this week for some awesome announcements because we're super excited and we cannot wait. Thank you again for listening. But until next time, we are the Babes on Broad on BGN Radio.
2: Babes on Broad.
3: BGN.
0: More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. High-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. From data privacy to the future of TV, retail media, and beyond— The world of digital marketing is constantly in flux. So how can you keep up? Well, The Current Report is there for you. Each week, marketing leaders on the cutting edge give you the latest insight. So if it's creating a buzz, they'll be talking about it. Subscribe to The Current Report wherever you get your podcasts.